Episode 164 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with arguably the first superstar of rugby union, the brilliant Welsh fly half Barry John. Barry won 25 caps for Wales and was a key figure in what is considered their golden age, including the 1971 Five Nations Championship. He also won five caps for the British Lions, famously playing a pivotal role in their winning tour of New Zealand in 1971. Citing the pressure of fame and expectation, Barry shockingly retired from rugby at just 27, despite then being Wales' highest point scorer and with at least a couple of years at the highest level left in him. Widely regarded as one of the greatest players ever, Barry is still known to Welsh rugby fans as the King. In 2006, I got this exclusive interview with Barry at Cardiff Arms Park, where he'd also enjoyed an illustrious club career. I began by asking him what he was up to work-wise. Well, I suppose people would say semi-retired or something like that, you know, I suppose. I enjoy, obviously, writing, having been involved since the moment, effectively, the, the moment I finished in 72, uh, with the Daily Express, fantastic uh, 25 years, a quarter of a century, when you think of it. Amazing. And then a lot of time with uh, Radio 5 Live and all the World Cups and Lions and things like that. Brilliant. The excellent days. And now I'm with Wales on Sunday. We work with two lovely little companies as well. Good friends of mine. How much of your life these days is rugby? What percentage of it? Nil, really. Rugby has always been a vehicle for me. Uh, it's just been there. If you say Torville and Dean... You know, you relate them to, to uh, ice dancing and things like that. And my name, obviously, will be uh, linked and related to rugby. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that rugby... Rugby's never dominated my life. Right. And certainly, uh, it's, it's, it's been part of my life in the fact that um, I've been using the pen or the microphone. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, I don't get up in the day and say I must go to a, a club and do coaching or, or things like that. I never have, no. But how excited do you get in a week like this leading up to a Wales-England match, for instance? Do you still get a bit of a buzz? Yes, it's a different buzz when you were playing, obviously. I've always been, I suppose, the boys will tell you, pretty laid back. Take it on the chin, take it as it comes, keep it in perspective. I always felt that if the fly half, whoever he is, if he is in control of himself, that means the team will be in control of itself yeah. and, and balanced and, and you can't have uh, you know running chaos you know your mind going wild and things like that no no you've got to the, the conductor of the orchestra must be in charge is there always a complimentary seat reserved for you for welsh internationals we're given a comp obviously and you purchase the one next to it so you get like two for the price of one as well which is great um i don't use it because as i said i'm still in the press box and it's great so my son when he's around he's the one who gets it and and his mate uh, goes and takes them but yes it's always nice that and when you're watching these matches how often does your mind wander back to your own performances your own playing days never really oh good gosh no you can't have that you don't go into a sort of dream? No way, no way, no right. way. No, 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 I'm a, a realist. I knew what happened in 1972 when I walked off. You can't go up to the press box or the commentary box and look at the game and say, and then say, no, I would have done that or I would have done that. No, no, you're not there anymore. Mm. And not only that, you've got to talk and look at a player, not in a critical but an acceptance sort of way, looking at what he's able to do his ability, 
What is he capable of doing? Because you've got to look at a player and say, not against your ability, but against his ability, his own ability. And if he can't kick with the left foot, and how's he going to get out of it? Because you've got to look at people. What is he capable of? You know, and that's it. It's pointless saying, "Oh, you can't do this." That means you become a pain in the ass. And uh, and I I would hate the people to judge me. You kind of look at if he's capable of a performance, and and contribute in many ways, and taking the options on that, fine. And if he's not up to that standard, well, he set his own standard. But if the player is only capable of substandard rugby, it's not his fault. Quite rightly, you're still held with great respect and affection in the sporting world. What do people <coughs> say to you? What do they want to know from you when they meet you, when they see you? It depends, really. I mean, when I walk the streets of Cardiff, with no one on the street, I can walk in from my apartment in 10 minutes. But normally it takes me 15, 20 minutes in, in every day mm. because people are on the street. And people will say, morning, Barry, morning, OK, or King, or what they call you, anything, you know, and things like this. And that's a nice thing. Mm. And because I'm one of the locals, as I know them, uh, they know me. Mm. Yes, hello, Bill, hello, Bill, you know. To what extent do modern players seek your advice and expertise? Never. No, no, no. And I accept that. I, I wouldn't uh, dream of... Uh, I hardly see them, to be honest, because they're now in camps. It's a pro game now. Very rarely do I, very, very rarely, to be honest, do I bump into the present Welsh team. I, I can't think the last time, to be honest. Maybe at the odd dinner and some, some of the boys will be there. And basically you just go up and say, well done, lads. You know, you're performing well, great stuff. Congratulations. And, and I think that's the way it's, it should be. I mean, you know, I, I got on brilliantly with people like Cliff Morgan and uh, in my case. And um, Cliff and I, yeah, we sat down and... We talked about things, but very rarely did we talk in detail about the game of rugby. You know, he'd say, how are you feeling for tomorrow, or things like this, and, and former players on tours would be writing for wonderful papers and that. And then we'd, we'd sit down, you all right, are you feeling good for tomorrow? That's it. Because it's pointless trying to come up to me or I to anybody else and say, do this, do that, or come here, look at your kicking, look at your passing. What's the point? To what extent, though, can you relate to Gavin Henson, the fact that he's become a Welsh sporting idol? Well, in different days, obviously. Gavin is, is in, in most pages these days, <laughs> for whatever reason. But, again, I've, I've only met, literally, I don't think I've spent more than a minute. Uh, in fact, in the Cardiff Club here, the boys, after one game, uh, they came in for, for a pint in the bottom bar. And I, Gareth Thomas, I think, Gavin and Martin and that. And I just went up and said, nice one, boys. Well done. Good, good win. Well done. Well played. And I think that's, in our position, you know, as golden oldies or former players, whatever you want to call us, yeah, that's it. I think that's the only reasonable and responsible duty that we have, I think, just to say we're pat him on the back. People like to compare you with him, with Johnny Wilkins. How do you feel the comparisons are? It's impossible, anyway. Mm. You know, the game has changed. The whole lot has changed. Uh, the rules of the game. You know, we we might wear the same kit and uh, the posts are the same and the size of the pitch is the same ball. But take it from me, the game is, is alien now. It's a completely different game to uh, when we were playing. But the current Welsh team are you know, the most successful since your era. So it's inevitable there's going to be comparisons, isn't it? Well, yes, of course. I mean, <laughs> in, in fairness, I mean... Uh, the more modern people are saying, well, at least that's the end of the 70s, being rammed down our throats and all the rest of it. But if you examine it very carefully, none of our era has ever said anything other than good luck to the Welsh Tide. Mm. We want them. I was thrilled when they won the Grand Slam. Mm. I, I literally went in 
and I nearly cocked it up to be honest um, because Wales were leading and I went downstairs to do my piece because uh, I wanted to be back for the final five minutes mm-hmm. and as I was away Ireland was scoring and I said oh please don't <laughs> no, I wasn't worried about cocking up my article but oh don't, don't let us slip now mm-hmm. and of course Wales uh, did the business mm-hmm. my, my first line in, the, in that particular column was this is a column I've been waiting to write for 20 odd or whatever it was mm-hmm. 20 odd years mm-hmm. or something like that and it was and all of us are absolutely thrilled. People must be nuts to think if that we were happy to see Wales going year after year and being in, you know, smashed and then terrible scoreboards, 40s and 50s and all the rest of the cricket scores. Do you think we, we don't want that? Because, mm. God, we, we knew what it was like to play for Wales mm. and, and to lose was bad, mm. you know, even by a few points or 10 points or something like that. That was bad. Mm. But to be a smashed day in, day out like that, no, we felt for them. You don't rejoice in something like that for Chrissy. Your playing career was obviously only a small part of your life a very long time ago. How do you feel about the fact that people like myself still like to focus on it so much? My first cap was in 66. Yes. And I finished in 72. But during that period of time, I think I had one summer off. Yeah, yeah. We were touring all over the place yeah. in, in those, as it is now. I think it's gone over the top now. And the demands on the players, and you need rest. Everybody needs rest. So, no, it was pretty condensed and uh, hectic. But do you mind being reminded of it all the time? Like, well, it's, it's out of my hands. Right. You know, I, I can't tell people, I can't walk down the street and carry a board in front of me or something like this. No more questions about me today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on the back, bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> when you were very small, when you were very young, did anyone predict that you would be a bit special one day? No, it doesn't work like that. I mean, uh, when does a pianist know that he's better than the guy next door, you know? Mm. You know, or the person down the street or something mm. like that. When we were playing as in the back garden and uh, the back field with us, because that's all I had to do was jump over the hedge and we had our own Wembley and Cardiff Hams Park and we had it whatever we wanted every day. We were all playing, you know, the ball, any size, shape, whatever you wanted. We were all virtually running ourselves to sleep, you know. The, the thing was, I, I found things very easily. It mm. came to me, but they yeah. came very easy to me. Catching a ball or spinning or some, or somebody told me how to bowl an off-break. Oh, God, I'd do an off-break in two seconds. <laughs> or playing tennis, you know, uh, because I'm half ambidextrous, you know. Yeah. I uh, play golf left-handed and play darts right-handed and snooker <laughs> right-handed, things like that, you know. So on the field, to me, going left didn't bother me or going right didn't bother me. Were your sporting abilities inherited, or were you one-off in your family? I wasn't a one-off in, in, in my family, because my brothers, uh, they were very, very well, two of them in particular, younger than myself, Alan and Clive. They played for Wales, eh? Alan went on the tour to Argentina, where, they, where JPR was born. Right, you know? yeah. Unfortunately, so the, Alan and Clive were very close mm. to, to, to being capped. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Wales, so so uh, you know they're very very high standards, and and they're both flankers, excellent players. Oh, they were top class, top top. And at at one time, I think somebody wrote an article. It would be a well, what an achievement if three Johns, three yeah. brothers, would be lining up on uh, on the Welsh jersey, you know. Mm-hmm. And at one time, it wasn't far off. Yeah. And then injuries, the boys got injured. Mm-hmm. Alan got injured in Argentina and didn't quite recover, I suppose. Clive was desperately unlucky. He genuinely was on the plane to New Zealand with us as cover for flankers and scrum half, because he was a fabulous rugby player. And then Doug Smith, the manager, and Carwin had insisted, Doug, you've got to see Barry's brother play. Wales 
B in those days, the backup side, were playing France at Strade at Lanetti. He was so brilliant in the first half, and he was in. He was on the plane, and then he broke his arm in the second half. Oh, right. What know. do they do now, your brothers? Clive is in the probation service, and he's been there for oh, donkey's years now. Alan, funny enough, he's the um, what do you call janitor? I mean, my old college, Trinity oh, College, Camarin, nice. in uh, in in. So he's the night duty man, uh, you know, looking after, and he's loving it. Mm. You know, thank God, he's because he spent too much in the in the mines, to be honest. Mm. And uh, he's got a touch of pneumo uh, oh. or something like that. But yeah, I mean, they're great guys. How do you view your amazing talents as God-given or the results of hard work? Given, I think. Right. Yeah. Did you uh, always feel you were blessed? No, no, no. You don't. You, you can't. It's normal. What is normality to you? is you know, something different to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So when people make a fuss and the ball is flying past, you stick in my hand and then it sticks in, <laughs> like catching the cricket ball. Oh, yes, um, I remember at under 11 playing a cricket game and off we went to a lovely place called Ponteberem, which is only eight miles down the road. And they had a lovely cricket club and everything like this. And in the summer, and the old men was to come out, <laughs> I always remember. So we got a scrambled te- a team together you know, it was a small school, and they were a small school as well. To get eleven each on, on the pitch was good, and we were seventy-two all out, and I scored sixty. <laughs> and I remember playing one game cricket game for my village in Pendine. Well, we were there. I think we were something like hundred and eighty, and I was hundred and four not out. You know, <laughs> but that's it. Tennis the same. I was always able to. I mean, if you speak you, you to could have made the grade at any of those sports, then. Football, I was pretty hot on that. Yeah, I know. Yes, I love football, obviously. You Pat Jennings, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until he stared at me, and then I hit it straight down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> if you could hold up one rugby match as the finest example for you, what, what would it be? The most complete game I was involved in. I'm yes. not talking about my performance now, okay. although it, it, it did, uh, I did chip in, obviously. But the most complete game has to be the shootout in 1971 in uh, Stade Colomb in Paris. Obviously, France uh, are against us. They'd won three, we'd won three, shootout for the Grand Slam. And it was an unbelievable game. Uh, fast, furious, both sides played well. I think every player on the field contributed that day. Whether they are hooker intercepted at the right time, ankle tapped, or the props, or somebody tackled, everything like that, and uh, we we came through at the end nine five. And uh, but the nice thing about that was, I think Papadou was the president of France oh, at the right. time, and when we went to the Georges Saint, I think, into the dinner, and the dinners are late in Paris, so we'd been partying already, and the Welsh team eventually walked in. And the whole place got up and gave us a standing ovation, including the French boys as well. They were brilliant. And uh, uh, the French rugby president then, he got up and we were toasting and that. But before anything started, he's, he toasted uh, his French team and played wonderful respect for them. And then he toasted Pédagal. And he said, you deserve it today because you beat the wonderful French team. So you deserve it. You know, and that's it. Very generous. You know, wonderful, generous. You remember things like that, do you? Yeah, lovely. Mm. When you were at your peak, did girls throw themselves at you? Um, what level floor are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, I don't. In, in those days, I think, we, we were in the infancy of, of um, 
mob celebrity. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it was infant days. Not football, obviously, was way yeah. ahead of us, and George and all the rest of it, yeah. and uh, Alan Hudson and these boys, you know, yeah. great boys, Ozzy uh, uh, and that. You the know, glamour boys. Glamour yeah. boys, yeah. So, of course, we have very little to offer because we were all broke anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your most thrilling moment as a celebrity, do you feel, during those days? What was the biggest buzz? I've never been one of these people to chase the buzz, to be honest. Mm. Oh, to me, I mean... You met some great people, I know. Oh, well, course, yeah. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Well, the list is endless, to be honest, oh. and uh, not only in sport, obviously. And one of the uh, nicest moments was sitting down at Paddington, and the guy opposite, and I thought, I, you know, it's funny, when you, you tend to think that, oh, people recognise me, mm. but I recognise others by mm. And it was Yehudi Menuhin. I interviewed yeah. him. Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he played the violin for me. I was just oh, like, yeah. yeah. And I sat and I chatted yeah. away, and without introducing each other to each other, yeah. you know, I, I chances I didn't have a clue yeah. who I was, but I was playing nice to see her and, and all the rest of it. And uh, off, and I, I can't remember whether he got off at Reading or somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, I wish he'd carried on to Bristol or something like that. <laughs> you know, and, you know, uh, Ted Heath I got on brilliantly oh, yeah. with. You know, Ted it was yeah. great. Bumped into him in '69 when he was down in Tasmania when he was doing that Tasman Challenge race, yeah. which they won. And uh, we happened to be the West Side, happened to be in, in that part of the world. And, he, and I, I don't know, I, I met him quite a few times after. Great, great gentleman, great company. And a great fan of yours, of course. Well, yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> Not bad to have the Prime Minister as a fan, <laughs> well, yeah, well. How and when did your nickname The King come about? There was a lovely guy called Tudor James, and uh, Tudor was marvellous. He wrote for the Sunday Mirror, for the Welsh page and everything. And Tudor's motto was, what Tudor says today, as they say tomorrow, you know. <laughs> we used to read it, and, and I'd find things about myself. Mm. The same with Gareth and the other boys. And he would say, um, right, Barry, you've been just been offered a contract to go to um, Leeds for Rugby League. How much? How much do you fancy? Twelve and a half? Twelve and a half thousand. Uh-huh. All right. Okay, that's the offer I was given. Oh, yes, you'd read things. Yeah. And, and he'd come up to um, buy you a bottle of wine or something, leave a bottle of wine on the table over there or something like that. And did he call you the king then, was it? Him yeah, well, he, he was the one who started. Well, Gareth, I think, Gareth Edwards was the one who really launched it because I was living in Radha, our first house, and we had a split-level uh, uh, house. And so that means you, you go up the pe- stairs to come to the first floor. Uh, it was only a lovely, normal little house, you know, and that's it. We were playing Coventry, I think, away, and it was during the international season, and Gareth and I had to come back after the game. We couldn't stay as normal with the team because we had Welsh training the next day. So Gareth turned up a bit on the early side, let's say, about half past eight in the morning, and he pulled the car up, and uh, the, the doorbell went, and I went down to open it, and I was in my dressing gown, you know, rough as, as hell, and I said, Gareth, you're too bloody early. Right, so then he came, and uh, I'm in my dressing gown, right? So he has coffee. So John comes around, wife comes down, yeah, okay, we'll get coffee and toast for him, and things like that. So I will get ready. So when we arrive now in Coventry, Gareth's interpretation of me unshaven, rough, coming down in a, uh, you want to see him coming down. Silk dressing gown, <laughs> a cravat, <laughs> new aftershave on, things like this, you know. So you looked like the king. There he was, coming down like the king, like this somewhere. I had a good game that day up there, and the story went round and all that. It's a big lot of bollocks going. And anyway, it started a bit, and then yeah. 
and then because John and King John, mm-hmm. if I'd been Richard, it would be King Richard or yeah. King Edward or something like that, if you got it, as it was, and then, I don't know, we just snowballed from there, I suppose. Were you ever subjected to jealousy from other players, particularly because of that nickname? Did they object no. to you being called No, no, they, they used to call me King. Right, amazing. Oh, well, still to this day. Really? Oh, the boys, the boys will come along. Yeah. Some of them, yeah, um, hey, King, tell me, yeah, yeah, King, you okay? Oh, no, 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 it's never been, oh, nothing. I never smelt uh, an ounce of animosity. Mm. How no. have you felt about being called the king? It's incredibly mm. flattering. Is it embarrassing as well? Well, at, at the start and, and in the end, you mm. can't say, you can't go around every day and say, stop calling me king. <laughs> well, in the end, it was like one-way traffic, isn't it? You know? And uh, mm. so you just, you, you people, mm. the people know me well enough. Mm. They know I take it with a huge, got a pinch of salt, a mm. ton of salt, you know. <laughs> oh, it drifts keen over my head. Anyway. You were Rugby Union's first superstar. The fact that you were the first, was that a problem because there was no precedent? There's no one for you to go to and say... Well, I suppose, it, well... If you say so, I was the first superstar. Well, all right. No, but in in many ways, you see, if you if you are the first, you you, you're setting um, the pace and 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 whatever. So, if it was new to me, it was new to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So there was no script out there Mm -hmm. to say kings must behave like this. You know, (laughs) things like what so-called kings Mm -hmm. must. No, no. no. So I just made it up. I just lived my life. People know me well enough. I, it's mm. really I don't. I never took it seriously. Mm. I never do. Oh, the other the other thing I've never ever done in my life. People have asked me to this day, "Will you sign Barry Court King John?" And I said, "No way, right. no way." I said, "The moment you do that, that's the moment you believe in something." Mm. And I said, "I'll never do that," mm. and I never have. And I said, "Oh, please, no please. way." You know. You explained in your book that the main reason that you quit at 27 was because of the extent to which you were idolised. Was there one of those incidents which which really made you... Yeah, but no, it, it, was, it wasn't it was a case of adulation and that. It, it was a case. I mean, this day, uh, I, I, would, I would have carried on for another at least three years at international level. Well, touch wood, you know, if, if fitness was, was okay and no injuries and I'm not carrying anything that could be later on in life, you know, hurt you, I would have carried on maybe for another year or two, even if I pulled out of international rugby. And not only because of the money factor, well, obviously that will have to come in because it's your job these days and you pay the mortgage and that's it. But the reason was that I had to live three different lives, you see. And... One was uh, to be this so-called star, and the other was to be not only a rugby star, but a, a celebrity star. You know, a celebrity star is different to being a sporting star. You know, you were, you were up with the pop boys and things like this, and there you go. So I was up and down to London or Manchester, television programs, and you're going on different television programs, not only sporting programs, you know, chat shows and things like this. Uh, well, I remember doing a lovely program with Eartha Kitt. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know <laughs> marvellous. You know, she was asking about it, really. and purring, uh, <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> you know, so so that side of life, and then of course, and although after the seventy-one trip, where everything was chaos, well, the mail was coming in in small bags. Mm. You know, the guy, the postman, who was to leave them outside. You know, like that. But how could he not like that? How could he not want that? Well, who does want it? Really? I think lots of kids aspire to be... These days, so many people want to be famous, don't well, they? Well, yeah. 
You don't want to, want to be famous. You can't just say, what's your, mind you, these days, they do. They do I mean, yeah. they, stupid people go on these, oh, terrible programs. These <laughs> brothers and all this. These, so you uh, won't be hosting rugby idol then. Oh, Christ almighty. You can imagine. Uh, these reality programs, uh, how can they be a reality? There's nothing real in it. Mm. That's what I mean. Yeah, uh, no, call, call it anything. Yeah. No, but, but uh, the other thing was, you see, that I had to live uh, a life of, of basically a, a celebrity star. Mm. I had to go to work, you know, although fair play to the... I was involved with the Midland Bank at the time, uh, uh, one section of their bank, and they were brilliant. And they effectively said, Barry, obviously you're working and things like mm. that, but just come in when you want, mm. sort your life out, we'll give you your own rooms and your own secretary, and they said, no, I don't want that. Mm. You know, that means I'm alienating myself. You know, I am alienating. Yeah. I can't have that. You've got to carry on as, as normal as we can. Mm. And, and off we went. But the big but then, the third factor was, come January, I had to be in top condition to play international rugby. Yeah, yeah. So you can't have three. Yeah. And I remember mentioning to people officially on television and radio, I said, sorry people, I've got to... Because I found it hard to say no yeah, yeah. to all these invitations. Yeah. I mean, you go to hospitals and uh, yeah. things like that, you know, oh, you couldn't turn these things like this down. And in the end, I was coming home absolutely knackered. Yeah. Well, from the time we got home to December, to Christmas Day, I don't think I had seven meals at home. And, you know, and I was really looking tired. Jan, my wife, said, obviously, she could spot you and things like that. And I was getting irritable, and uh, which was unlike me. You know. When you stopped, did the adulation stop? Oh, God, God no, 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 no. Way. Did you kind of hope it would? Well, I, I, I thought that... No, it would ease down, like everything else. When you when you put the brakes on, the, mm. the car quietly eases down and can mm. no stop. But no, no, no. Uh, mind you, I was I was uh, still in uh, because I was involved in uh, television and uh, and uh, radios and all the medias mm. and things like this. And uh, people were, were still well, uh, look, 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 still look up to you, you know, and things like that. Oh, is, course, gosh, uh, ironically, so you quit at your peak, so you're still remembered at your absolute well, that's best. It. Even in town now, we've got lovely old gentlemen going like, Barry, can you pass it, pass it? <laughs> I said, no, pass the ball, pass the ball. <laughs> and I said, I can't, I can't. <laughs> well, don't put it on the floor, otherwise I'll, I can't pick mm. it up. <laughs> but when you're a player and you're playing all these big matches, you experience such adrenaline and excitement. What was it like to sort of come away from that and not have that as part of your life? Did you start um, withdrawals? No way, no. No chance, no. No, no, I'm, I'm reasonably intelligent. I knew what I was doing. I, I was ready for it. You know, I was ready for the bump. Yeah. You know, like parachute not opening or something like that. Was I, bump? I, was no, no, bump? there wasn't a bump. Because I made certain of that. Smooth landing. Oh, okay, no, no problem. Uh, fair play, Jan, Jan and I, we, we talked about it. I talked with, obviously, friends and family. Uh, a few, basically, only other than the, the, the close family like that. But I remember outside here, my last game, uh, Carwin James is 15 against my 15. For the Welsh League of the year, they were broke. So we said, yeah, we'll organise a game. And Gareth, I told Gareth and Gerald Davis, because uh, we had been like the three musketeers. Yeah, yeah. We, everywhere we went, we went together. Mm-hmm. And we were invited to the same big games together in Barbers or whatever. And I told them, and they said, Barry Christ, are you sure? You know, oh, yeah, that's it. Well, fair enough. And I also told them, I was the rubber dub guy, and Jersey man and physio, Jerry Lewis. And Jerry just nearly cried, you know. And oh. when I went out, and very emotional guy, Jerry Gray. So when we went out, the three of them knew this was my farewell. 
And as it was, I happened to score a lovely winning try at the end. And I said, Gareth, right, you take, you, the, cake, you yeah. take the kick, you convert yeah. it. Because let's go out and I score and you put it over. Mm. And he slotted it beautifully. Oh, yeah. and that's it. it still makes you quite emotional remembering that, doesn't it? Uh, no, it's not emotional. No, no, not, not to the point of... Uh, but no, it's fond memories. Yeah, absolutely. Fondness, not emotional. Very fond. Very, very, very fond. Yeah. Do you wish there had been some kind of guidance available to players preparing them for when they change their life from going from playing all the time to normality, as it were? Well, there were no guidelines in those days. There couldn't have been, because mm. no one had done and achieved what we had done, you see. I had probably uh, as good a counsel as, as I could have wished. My, my mm. father-in-law was a QC, one of the great men, you know, of, of, of all time. Was, uh, not only that, Quinn Walters, who was my boss, there, he was a former international referee. And Gwen was very highly respected, and um, things like, oh yes, I turns. But ultimately, I've always been my own man, man. Mm. And uh, even when I had agreed to do the story with the Mirror Group, even they up there, they said, Barry, sign the contract. Yeah, yeah. We'll kick it into action. Yeah. We won't put the date on it, right? <laughs> now just carry on. They yeah, were telling me, yeah, yeah. And, and they had the big scoop. Mm. You know, well, this was the big story. You know, the big scoop. And they were pleading with me. You know, I said, don't, don't worry, we'll honour this mm. whenever you want. We'll, we'll trigger it off whenever you want. Mm. They wanted me to carry on. And I said, no, I've made my decision now. Mm. And I said, because I knew, you see, you couldn't live a celebrity life, work and maintain the standards that you set yourself. I'd be letting, not only would I have let myself down, but I would have let Wales down and Cardiff down and whatever side I played for. But in your book, it says that you regretted retiring. Oh, crikey, of course I did. At what point did you think you'd made a mistake then? No, I, I, I know I didn't. Regretting is one thing. Okay. It's not the same as making a mistake. Okay. Oh, no, it was a, a correct decision. I didn't want to do it. Right. But I didn't want to let myself down, my family down. No, it wasn't a running away job. There was no way I could do all these things. Something I had to give. As I said, if I was playing now, there was no problem. I'd get up on Monday morning, go to work. What is work? Going down to the training ground get rubbed down, mm. you know, Monday, get the bruises out or go to a sauna and get ready for that. I'm not certain I would have liked that, this world anyway, because uh, you can have too much. Uh, I would have found it boring, because you, you need a mixture in life, don't you? And, uh, so the regret is the fact that you had to retire yes. rather than... The, oh, retire. no, yes, yeah. I had to, yeah. Right. I had to retire. Not, not for sanity, but for, for fairness all around, to be absolutely fair all around. Yeah. But you... Give this amazing story in your book about how you used to, after you'd finished your playing days, run to the press box in the oh, stand yes, and yeah. hope to be out of breath. That's it, yeah. But you never were. Well, not for the first, uh, obviously, the first season or so. Mm. But I, I was hoping then that, well, you see, you know, you try to con yourself. Mm. So inwardly, I was trying to say, well, it doesn't matter, mate. You wouldn't yeah. last ten minutes <laughs> out there now. But uh, obviously, you don't lose residual fitness mm. uh, overnight here. And oh. I was also playing football. Yeah. I was playing tennis, playing golf. Oh, yes, I was still... And I was also, mind you, naturally fit when I played. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. But these days, things are so regimented with diet and fitness and so yeah, on. Yeah. But did you change your lifestyle much immediately after quitting? Did you sort of a bit more relaxed about what you drank and ate and everything else? No, not really, no. No, no, no. The uh, schedule was hectic again, but it was a different schedule. You know, that uh, in, instead of going on every Tuesday night and the Thursday night to training and uh, organising yourself for a game on Saturday. OK, I missed the training sessions, but no, but I but in, I used to play down for a lovely place called Gwaila de Garth, little village around the corner where I lived. 
and I used to be their top scorer, you know, and all the rest of it. Oh, yes, we, I was still running and moving and, and things like that. Oh, yes, you don't. Particularly when you're a fly half, you're, you're obviously um, you're a naturally fit person yeah, gift, gift and talents. Yeah, yeah. Every fly half is, you know, he's the piano player in the side. You know. Mm. Yeah. For how many years after retiring were people trying to coax you out of retirement? No, they couldn't, is he? But were they trying? Though? No, 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 they, can't, they couldn't. My answer was very, it wasn't an answer, it was a fact. Because these There's, days you would have been offered a fortune. Yeah, but you? this is why pe people don't understand. Uh, I don't want to uh, sound like prehistoric or dinosaurs or something like that, but uh, in my day, when I did what I did, I wasn't allowed to come back. Honestly, even we're sitting here in the Cardiff Club now, my portrait is outside next door, so you've got a portrait there, you've got your boots in here and whatever things are dotted around. But seriously, people under the, under the statute of the club and the rugby union, it was an amateur game, remember? They could come in, and if two people wanted to propose and second, they could blackball me from the club, because I was a professional, you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, although I didn't go to rugby league, I still went and professionalized myself by uh, writing books, doing deals with boots and shirts yeah. and your name, selling your name, and all the rest of it. Oh yes, in those days. Oh no, and there's no way I could have played in a charity game. And frankly, I found that as a lovely defense mechanism. Helps you yes. make a decision. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I couldn't let friends yeah. down. People, friends would come to me and say, Barry, we're having a game, God, if you turned up and just did one half or something like this. And I said, boys, I can't. Mm -hmm. Because I was like the guy carrying the, the bad news. Mm -hmm. Because if I went into the dressing room and these boys knew who exactly where I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and they went out onto the field with me, both teams would professionalize themselves. It's like touching me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, in many ways, I was, I was chuffed that it was there. So, it, mm. And I was then, I just played other sports then. And, mm. and then, of course, um, going to games, which I loved. Oh, the welcomes you had, uh, oh, I still do, I suppose. Um, you know, all over the clubs. You know, when I went on Tuesday nights to Bridgend against Abravo or something like this. Oh, I keep people sat up, getting up and applauding you and, and things like this. And yeah. Does that move you? Well, of course, you know, you'd be, uh, uh, well, Welsh people are emotional people, and yes. uh, good God, if that wouldn't move you, well, bloody hell, that's something yeah. totally wrong with <laughs> no, right. yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, I got to know lovely people. You were saying earlier that you really took to journalism like a duck to water, really, didn't you? Yes, Natural I Natural progression for you, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 no problem at all. John Morgan uh, was my first uh, sports editor. And John was great. And uh, that's all he did was remind me, uh, Barry, remember now, you're writing for Monday. Mm -hmm. We don't want a match report. Remember, television will have had looks at, the, at these games. Uh, the Sundays would have done their job. And Monday, we just want your opinion of what happened, why it happened, who's good, who's bad, and I, that's exactly what I want. I said. Mm. I'd want to do something that anybody else can do. But was it hard to write in an objective way about no. people that you used to play with that are friends of yours? No way, no chance. Mind you, when I left the, the team, crikey, what was this? I mean, Phil Bennett's came in. And I, mean, oh, I don't think the, the side, thank God, the side went on for another five years, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it, it was easy for me to write about it, yeah. wasn't it? Because they were outstanding. They, yeah, were, the exactly. best, they were the best players. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. with 74 Lions and everything like that yeah. winning, mm -hmm. uh, oh, crikey, yes, uh, it was very easy, you know. When and why did you stop working for BBC Radio? Uh, well, I didn't stop. I think the cycle, I suppose. Mm. Or, or somebody new comes in. So I was just uh, informed that, well, you know, you've had a good innings type of thing. Mm. And we've got new people. I think some of the England boys 
around the early mid-80s or something like mm-hmm. that, I think. Yeah, mid-80s, I think, I finished with it. The other boys came through. Mm-hmm. and they you disappointed, said, though? Yes, I suppose, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because, because I think in, in that uh, profession, when you look at Peter Alice, Harry Carpenter, these boys, Bill McLaren. Mm -hmm. When you come to commentary, you see, I I, I don't see how age comes into it. Mm. You know, it's the quality of what you say and uh, provided you can do the job and things like that. Yes, I I, I thought, you know, uh, I was perhaps moving into the, not the older statesman, Mm. but, you know, moving ranks. Instead of being just the the young buck or the young pup, you know, was giving his views, that by now I've got enough experience so I can recall games. And I've got, fortunately, I've got an enormous power of recall. And so when I see, I can see something happening on the field which should be done, and then I can relate to something which had been done, say, ten years ago. I imagine lots of people wrote and said, where are you, Barry? Well, I don't know. Do you enjoy your... Well, I I used to love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do you know, in America, I did one or two things out there. <laughs> they said, can you stay out here? And we do things like this. Why, you know, we like your accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like, like the way you say it. <laughs> so I know you were, there was a possibility of you doing American football at one stage. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know you're probably mainly going on to do the kicking. But oh, that's all. Don't worry, I wouldn't yeah. get about anything else. How Take the think, sandwiches, present. <laughs> how do you think you'd have coped living in America? Would you have quite fancied it? Would you kind of wish you'd tried it? Well, again, you see, I mean, the three people who... Bladen Williams, the legendary, uh, wonderful, great friend, uh, he came to me one day, and uh, his big mate uh, from the forces and everything like that was Stanley Baker, oh, the actor, you see. And he said, Barry, da-da-da, Stanley wants a word with you. OK, I've given him your number, da-da-da, one thing. So Stanley rang me and said, Barry, can you come up to London? And I, yes, all right. I'm going to meet a couple of friends of mine. So I went up and went to Stanley's brilliant penthouse overlooking the Thames opposite Parliament. In fact, the penthouse so big, you could have a game of cricket in there. I could have bowled off my long run and still <laughs> wouldn't see him. Marvellous. <laughs> anyway, eventually he finished whatever he was doing on the far side and off we went. And his roles pulled up and if we go, where are we off to? Oh, a friend of mine round the corner. It was Arnold Palmer. Arnold Palmer. Wentworth had just finished and he just won Wentworth. So he came bundling in the back and uh, off we go then to the Carlton Towers and who was waiting for us there and we had a room or a lovely table far away and everything was Mark McCormack. Oh, the IMG. IMG, you see. Then we sat down and we uh, had a chat and they put things down. Were you tempted? Well, I went out. I went out just to have a look. Oh, you did? Yeah, and they obviously looked after you brilliantly and things like that. But I came back, with obviously, with an open mind, but equally deep down. I mentioned it to Jan, obviously, we went over it and uh, things like that. And uh, I was always trying to find out a genuine excuse to get out of it. Mm. And then suddenly it came. When we were sitting around, Mark McCormack, I think, he said, right, Barry, if you're interested, this is what it'll be all about, man. Because we'll, we'll be travelling a lot and uh, with America and things like this, and we want to to do this and, and other things, and television and things like that. All right, but you'll have to move from Cardiff to London to be ten minutes away or whatever from Heathrow. Mm. Well, there was my answer. That was my out mm. because John and I had always said, "No, no, we want to live in Cardiff, yeah. and that's it." And I want my children to be educated. It was never seriously on. To what extent do you see your colleagues from 1971 still, and how has the relationship changed over the years? Well, very little, to be honest. Mm. 
I find it strange that people tend to think that we live in each other's pockets and uh, we never were. And that's probably the secret of the side. But we were a team. We were all individuals. We all saw things differently. You know, two and two make four for one and not for the other for certain things, you know. Oh, good God. And over the years, obviously, uh, lots of the boys with Gerald, um, Gareth, Mervyn, and after me with Phil Bennett and that, JJ and these boys, we're all one way or the other in the media with writings and columns and things like that. So, you know, you can go for three or four months and then bang, 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 we meet each other with the games and things like that. And we just pick it up. And the children know each other. You know, it's marvellous. Because Martin Peters told me of the 66 World Cup squad, there'll always be a special bond between them. They had that rare experience together. Yeah. Do you feel that special bond? Yes, I suppose. But then, again, you see, I wouldn't know what, what a special bond is. It's the only bond I know. So I can't compare uh, whatever bond is, you know, whether orchestras or other teams or whatever, I don't know. Who are you closest to from that squad? I find it easy, whoever I bump into. Right. We all get on, no problem. But because of mileage and, and uh, proximities and things like that, I see a lot of John Dawes, because he lives in Cardiff, and, and he, his circle is in Cardiff. I see Mervyn probably once or twice a month, to, with lunches and things, private lunches, you know, that we have lunch. Right? I see certain players, certain formal players, more than others, but that doesn't mean anything, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I see Gareth now a lot, because I come down to the games here, and Gareth is on, on the board, Cardiff Rugby Board, so when we go, I go up to the committee box and things like this. And, oh, yeah. But very rarely do we go on, heavy, on a heavy rugby, you know. Mm-hmm. No. You had this special friendship with George Best. How close would you say you got to him? Probably as, as close as... I wouldn't say as anybody, because people like Dennis Law, obviously, and some of the Man United boys in those days uh, were very, very close to him, as, as you saw uh, at the funeral. Did you go to the funeral? No, 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 no. It, it, it's not a case of it, it was in Belfast, and, and, and uh, I know that every flight, every booking time had been booked in, and every flight time had been to get in. But I think, uh, in many ways, it would have been a touch of trespassing. I think. No, it, it was done brilliantly. I think I watched it obviously, and uh, many memories. Uh, when had you last seen him? Here in Cardiff, but that would be about three years ago. And the, the awful thing was about, and no one had told me. And I should have known anyway, but no one had told me. He was here in Cardiff signing his last book. God, if I'd known that, I'd have gone over and I'd say, come on, George, let's go next door. We'd probably have gone over with a glass of wine anyway. So it, it wasn't a case of, you know, who am I to tell him what to do or say or eat or drink, you know. Did you ever want to help him then from his, through his troubles? When I knew him... He was playing, obviously, at Man United, and he was at the top of his game, and it was amazing. I went up a couple of times to see him, but once to, to film and all the rest, we oh, dear, dear. It was like a film in itself, just to be with him. You know, I could narrate half an hour programme easily, without a note, as to exactly what happened. You know, it's amazing stuff. But um, there's, there's no way I could have influenced him in any sort of way. You know, he had bigger and better people around him, and were around him daily. But I think they could see there was uh, no hope. To what extent could you understand what he went through? I, I suppose it, 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 it was the other way around, I suppose. I, when I saw him and everything like that, mind you, you, you must look, and I've got to be careful how I, how I say this, when I hit the so-called button and top stage, when I hit the palladium, say, mm-hmm. uh, in that sense, I was 21... I was a qualified school teacher 
I had a very sound background. I lived at home in West Wales with a lovely family in a council house and all the rest of it, like George in a sense. But there was no hassle, you know. I was well-educated, balanced, and all the rest of it, 21. Let's face it, no, when the lion, 71s and all the rest of it, I was 25. So you were an adult. Now, George now, compare that with George left Belfast at 15. I don't know what school, education, etc. So you've got to look at that. The first formative years, by formative years, were in the comfort zone of a lovely lovely family in, 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 in Wales. Lovely garden and jump over and play, whatever you wanted. I went to a lovely grammar school. Everything was stable. But, you know, I didn't land up in London or Manchester at 15. And uh, I didn't have a bloody clue what was happening. And, mm. and, and life in the 60s, mind. You know, everybody was looking for the new buzz. You know, there were agents around. Mm. And suddenly this good-looking boy from Belfast comes along with a lovely accent. Next thing, the agents are in, and he's genius. Hallelujah, he's arrived. That one promised boy has arrived. Well, I was 25, you see, or tw- well, say early 20s anyway, when all this international stuff happened to me. I wish people would remember that, you see. I'm not trying to make an excuse for George, but that's very important in the equation. So I, I, when I looked at George, and I literally thanked my lucky stars that I wasn't taken away at 15. And, uh, Why do you think illnesses like he had affect so many sports people? And to... Again, this is why it's, it's going back to, you know, look at this, this day and age. Of, they've got protection. They didn't have any protection in those days mm-hmm. because people didn't know what was happening. Every week that started, every day that evolved, I mean, it was a new day for everybody. Mm. Not only for the player, for the manager, you know, uh, for the local papers, for the, for the nationals, for media, everybody. It was a new dawn for everybody. Mm. So it was, it was strange, even, you know, for the guy who did the interview. What do I, what do, I do? You know, nothing. Like this was, and with the Beatles and the pop world and everything like that, you know, that's, that's what people must remember. Now it's a different ballgame. They mm. know what uh, the obstacles are, the dangers, the pitfalls and all the rest of it. Mm. And they've got very, very important with the academies these days that they've got qualified people, nothing to do with football, but they know about what to look for. You know, if a person drops his head or, you know, about homesickness and things like this, you're still 16, mind. You're still a young pup, 16, 17, and you're thrown into a big ring like that. You know, so they, but they're prepared for it now. Because he's often cited as an example of a flawed genius... Well, yes. Do you, do you view yourself in that way at all? Do you see you have flaws of your own? Or? Well, everybody's got flaws anyway. No, I, I, not a George, I suppose. You go down in history as a... And Diego as well, Maradona. Mm. And Latte, you know. Yes, but... No, I don't think I'm in their category mm. in a way. No. Well, they say with genius comes... Oh, no, well, in that case, I'm not a genius. <laughs> I was never a genius, no. I was a talented player, yeah. Regarded as a genius by me. No, well, no, yeah, but people use words. Right. This word greats and all the rest of it. Mm. Yeah, great talent and all the rest of it. But mm. no, d- genius is a... Uh, I don't think I want that ladder. I enjoyed the honesty of your book very much. Was there much about you that you'll never reveal, though? Not really. I'm, you see, I, I, I've, I've just been lucky in life. People talk about monies and things like this, and I always answer, like, wouldn't you like to be playing now and millionaires and all the rest of it? Listen, I said, millionaires, as far as I'm concerned, I am a millionaire. Of course, I'm not in the bank. The bank manager will tell you that. But in other senses, I am. And would I like to be playing? Listen, I've got four beautiful children. 
they are happy as Larry. They're married. Three of the girls now are married. David is, is, is not, he's the youngest. And they've been a joy. My wife, although we're separated, we're still absolutely wonderful friends. We talk to each other every week, and the, well, we get on brilliantly, and, and so on. And now uh, I've got six grandchildren, and that's uh, with them. They, they marry three cracking boys. They're all they're three different blokes. They get on. Now, that to me, good God, I never knew any problem with drugs. Mm-hmm. We didn't have police calling in the, in the middle of the night because of one of them. Now, that to me, good God, how do you <laughs> declare that as richness? <laughs> you know, and I, I said that many, many years ago. I always stick to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and good God, there was no need for me to mm-hmm. lose sleep any night because of something then. Uh, but bringing up a family of four children is a heck of a responsibility financially. Has it been a struggle for you? <laughs> for me, no. Jan did the rest. Right. Jan did it all. Mm-hmm. I suppose I did something somewhere, I suppose. But we used to go away, and yes, yeah, all great fun. I used mm-hmm. to love that. Well, I'm one of six, you see. Yeah. Or oh, without people, I'd be lost. Mm-hmm. I'd be lost. I love people. I explained earlier you're still held, quite rightly, in tremendous affection by the sporting world. Do you feel that affection? Do you feel that love, or do you feel a bit forgotten? <laughs> no, I, if you ask people about that, they say, Barry, we'll get a bollocks anyway. It's never bothered me. I've never got up in the morning and said, uh, look in the mirror and say, hey, come on, star, you're a big star, aren't you? Good but it's God. lovely to be so fondly... Well, yes, it's better than somebody throwing eggs at you or something. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I haven't had that yet. <laughs> you don't think of it like that. Mm. You know, when I read bits and bobs in the paper, well, it's way down the line now and I don't get excited because your name is mentioned or, mm. or somebody's playing well. He could be another Barry John or something like that. Mm. Well, good luck to him, you know. I mean, it doesn't... In many ways, I know what they're saying, but in many ways, I don't know what they're saying. Has there ever been another Barry John? <laughs> I hope there'll be somebody who does it better, I think, yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you watch DVDs or videos of your days? Do you ever watch them? I haven't got a DVD. Right. <laughs> I haven't got a video. Really? No. About when they play it on, on the BBC or whatever, when they show footage, do you, are you fascinated or...? Not really. I mean, well, I've seen it, let's face it, I've seen it more than once, yeah. so I know what's coming, because mm. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. The next voice. <laughs> I don't want things like that. I'm going to watch. I don't carry a watch. I know what my days are, what my time times are. And as I said, promise to meet you at half past twelve, half past twelve it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it. Bang. Mm. Obviously, this room is stacked with fabulous memorabilia. Do you have any at home? Do you have any of your own? Nothing at all, no. Why is that? In, in our days, you see, we you know people who say, can we have your jersey and all the rest of it? Yeah. Oh, I've got jerseys uh, dotted all over the country. Mm-hmm. One, one or two around the world. Mm-hmm. And things like that. So that's the way it was, you know, and we'd swap a jersey and then give England England jersey. Yeah. Is there not one piece of memorabilia you wish you'd kept? No, not really. I mean, I mean we're in the museum here. I mean, I think it's far better. Those boots are far better there when other people can see them. And I've come in here when games are on and things like this. And uh, I, I sign and things like this and I take photos or whatever. And I say. But when you see T-shirts like that with your face and name on it, do you feel a taken advantage of? If they were selling hundred thousands mm. and, and they were really flying, mm. then obviously uh, I'd, I'd be a little bit hurt. Mm. That be, because let's face it, they wouldn't be flogging them if we weren't on it. Exactly. But I'm, I'm pretty certain that they, they mm. might sell a dozen here, a dozen there. Mm. So that's not, there's no problem. 
But uh, if they did, in a monetary sense, and make a lot of money on you, then I think that's out of order. They should come to you mm-hmm. and, and do a deal, I suppose, mm-hmm. and put 50 pence on it or whatever yeah. per strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're selling 100,000 then, well, as you're talking about real money. Mm-hmm. But if it's only, you know, a dozen here or a hundred there, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's not going to um, rock the boat. And this part is making mountains out of molehills and things like that. But uh, in many ways, I suppose, it's flattering, but I'm way past uh, the, uh, the ego factor. I'm, I'm not going to buy 14 million of them or something. Mm. No. Yeah. Do people still write to you from all over the world? And send yes, you? Uh, yeah. Not, you know, I, I wouldn't say the postman has got to carry an extra bag, no. <laughs> but uh, not like the old days, anyway. But uh, very many years ago. But, um, oh, yes. Mm. How do you feel when you see pictures of yourself as a young rugby star? Well, you just um, you just see them. That's all. There's nothing nothing that goes through me. I'm not one of these people to harp back and uh, mm. and go depressed or something like this. No bollocks. Nothing to be depressed about. Nothing. Think. Nothing yeah. at all. Nothing at all. Yeah. Over the years, though, has it been difficult to live up to the legend that is Barry John? No, Barry, Barry John doesn't know about his legend. That's the point. Is it? I don't think anybody knows about his own legend. Surely, I mean, Christ. Otherwise, it's frightening. It would be absolutely frightening if you, if you want. You get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Hi, legend. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're a hell of a boy, aren't you? You're a good player. You are. Remember that try? Let's go. Yeah, let's go and see a DVD. What shall we watch today now? <laughs> no, I don't think it's like that. <laughs> well, if they are, they're sick. <laughs> but when, you know, when we mentioned to people that we were coming to meet you, there was an immediate sort of burst of affection. Said, oh, he's fantastic. And one of the greats and all that. Well, again, you know, it's, it's uh, that's very nice and... Um, I can't do anything about that. I can only go on with, with life. Nothing, though, to be. What ambitions do you have at this stage in your life? No ambitions. Now, I think ambitions are out. I, I just want to literally enjoy company, which I'm lucky, you know. I've got friends who are dockers, boys and a half, you know. The mixed bag, dolly mm. mixtures. <laughs> oh, yes, ambition. Well, ambition. I can't see it happening, but you've still got to have a little one at the back of your mind, uh, which goes with, with that. Uh, I'd love to have a, a racehorse, you know, my own racehorse, and, um, you know, over the jumps, because I think it's great. Mm-hmm. And the people who go um, jump racing are fantastic mm-hmm. people. The flats are great, but they have mm-hmm. characters and they have these bugs. And I, I've, I've already said in the book, come on, and it'll be called Sharing and Caring. Mm-hmm. Much of the focus on Wales and Cardiff these days is Charlotte and Gavin. How do you feel about all that? Well, it's it's uh, inevitable these days, isn't mm. it? You know, it's um, you know the Becks and Victoria, isn't it? Mm. You know, and, and it's showbiz. You know, you get to throw a touch of showbiz mm. and uh, and a bit of sport in, mm. and you've got a perfect cocktail, haven't you? Mm. They cope with it reasonably well, I think. I think. Do you think you'd have enjoyed that level of celebrity today, or? I would have coped, yeah. Mm. Yeah, uh, there's no problem with that. I've never found it uh, difficult, you know. Uh, it wasn't overpowering. Again, maybe because of my background. Mm. Uh, it has got a lot to do with background, mind. Do you, you want know. to live to a ripe old age, Barry? Only if I'm mentally okay. Right. Yeah, that's it. Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, if I walk into posts and fall over and uh, I take me out. Mm. No, 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 I don't want that. And after you've left this planet in hopefully many decades to come, how do you want people to remember you? As an okay guy, you know. You know, please and thank you. That's I think very important in life, you know. And as my in my book I think I finish off by saying and we'll finish this interview with it like this, bang. 
just sharing and caring. As a rugby player, though, how would you like to be remembered? Well, as, as, as um, an imaginative player, somebody who could see the game, could see the pictures in front of him, and comfortable with the ball in his hand. You know, going right or left didn't bother me one bit, going backwards, inside out, whatever, you know, didn't bother me one bit. I hope at the end of the day that brought a lot of pleasure to two people and put smiles, you know, and when they left the stadium, they left, you know, a bit warmer than they came in, you know, regardless of the weather, that they'd seen a good game and a, a nice performance and everything.